You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Padre Social Hour. We are joined right now on this Military Sunday by a very special guest, U.S. Army veteran, Bronze Star recipient, Private First Class Joe Riley. We are so pleased to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. And you are throwing out the ceremonial first pitch today. Thank you. Have you done that before? Is this a no? I have not. We're going to go fastball, Joe. We're going to we're going to fire it out there. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can. I, I shook his yeah. hand. The man's handshake is stronger than mine. Is this anything that you've, um, anyone's given you any tips on, or have you been looking forward to it? Is it, is it fun to be here today? Yes, yes, I've had a couple of preliminary throws. My friend Albert uh, on my patio, we practiced the other day a I little love bit it. there. Only about 12 feet apart, so I don't know if that counts or not, but uh, that's what we did. Hey, 12 <laughs> feet, anything is good. All right. So. Uh, Private Riley, you parachuted into uh, Normandy on D-Day. You yes, I did. Behind enemy lines. I know Correct. Bill is champing at the bit to ask you some questions about that, as am sure. I. I'm going to let Bill take it away right here. That's an amazing story. So yes. it would have been in the early morning hours, right? It would yes, have been darkness. About, about 3.30 in the morning. Uh, we boarded our aircraft about 11 or 11.30 in the evening in, uh, in England. Right. Uh, but uh, when you're on an airborne operation, uh, the planes have to circle around and around and around in layers because the first plane cannot go over the English Channel to the continent until the last plane leaves the Takes the off, right. Wow. So you're up there two or three, sometimes three or four hours in, in, uh, in layers up there circling around waiting for the last plane to get off the airdrome. So behind Utah Beach, yes. uh, landed. At, at your job was what, to secure the crossroads? Yes, it was. Provide... Oh. provide uh, a flank support for the Seventh Corps, and also to cut off any counterattack by blowing up bridges. That's right. That's Amazing. correct. Uh, I, only one out of five paratroopers landed where they were supposed to on right. D-Day. I was the one. Oh. I landed wow. right where I was supposed to land this little pasture. Is that right? I had a clicker. Incredible. We had this little clicker on our wrist, you know. You give a click, and if you heard two clicks, you got lucky. If you didn't hear any clicks, you better be ready for something else. So I, I heard two clicks. I landed right beside the commander of the 502 Regiment. We jumped the same little pasture. We went from that little pasture to another one, to another one. And as we were going along, we picked up more people, you know, stragglers. Well, finally, we got to a point where a decision had to be made. In the military, the hierarchy makes the decisions. <laughs> we had several colonels with us. We had a couple of generals with us. Well, if the colonel says, we're going to go this way, a general says, no, we're going to go this way. You know where you're going to go. What you're about the first sergeant? If yeah. the first sergeant says you're going somewhere else, That's you're following right. him. That's right. But the general, the man with the highest rank makes the final decisions. Right. It got kind of embarrassing. <laughs> we were going from one little pass to the other. We were picking up more and more people. The history books have recorded this very accurately, by the way. Wow. Never has so few enlisted men been led by so many officers. Wow. There was only about 15 of us enlisted men. We had about 25 officers. Well, like I said, that's where the, the next episode came into effect. We're in this little pasture, and I thought, oh my God, is this how we're going to win the war? Because they started arguing about what they were going to do. We split in two groups, and we proceeded on to the causeway. Let the 4th Infantry Division come right. aboard. 
Wow. The first little town we cleared, took. Cleared for the 4th Infantry, right? Yes. Yes. The first little town we took was called Poopyville. Poopyville. And everybody mm -hmm. says, oh, Poopyville, P-O-U-P-P-V-I-L-L-E, right on the causeways there. We lost seven paratroopers taking oh. Poopyville. We took Poopyville. Then I got the best lesson I could ever get in combat. I'm such a lucky man, it scares me. Mm. All my life I've been so lucky. It frightens me sometimes. There was a paratrooper laying on the ground. There was a medic working over him because he was seriously, seriously wounded. The medics had a Red Cross armband on their uniform. They were unarmed. We were told the enemy would not fire on the medic because they were unarmed. What a bunch of baloney that was. There was a German sniper up in a tree started firing at the medic. Well, we thought, wait a minute, this isn't supposed to happen. Yeah. So about six of us fired up in that tree. Down come the sniper. Mm. Officer walked over to me and he said, soldier? I said, hey, I saw you fire in that tree. I said, yes, I did. He said, what a waste of ammunition. Oh, I wanted to say something so bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. All I could think of was, how in the world do you think we're going to win this war? We're out here to kill the enemy because he's out here to kill us. And, uh, but that was a great lesson to learn the first day of combat. After that, we went on to take uh, St. Condemont, St. Marie de Mont, yes. Verryville. We gathered at Verryville. Then we tried to take Canton. Now, everybody always says, well, you know, when you're in combat, you're in the military, you're in the, representing the United States of America, you never lose. Oh, we had so many times when we darn near lost it. Right. We tried to take Carantan. The Germans had all the high ground surrounded around Carantan. We got defeated back. The 501 Regiment and the 502 Regiment both got defeated back. There was a marsh on one side of Carantan. The military thought we'd never go through the marsh. We got orders to go through the marsh. Wow. It was hot. There was mud and reeds clear up to your shoulders. We went through that marsh that night. We took Carantan the next day. Now, to get off North... You later, uh, you were in Operation Market Garden, yes, and then you were part of the uh, the Bastogne, the uh, held the uh, Battle of the Bulge. The biggest battle of World War II right. was wow. at Bastogne. And uh, we, we're the first unit in. Right. Uh, well, you were trapped there. The 101st Airborne got trapped. We were surrounded by the Germans. We were outnumbered four to one. Right. But we held on. You have to remember the Germans had gone through three, four military uh, units before they got to the Bastogne. Right, and Bastogne was important because huge crossroads. Absolutely, it would have been a road that that would have opened the road to Antwerp yeah. for them. That's right. And you and the 101st Airborne light infantry. I mean, they were they were That's not right. they were not an armored division light That's infantry. Right. That's right. They held Bastogne against the Germans yes, until they, they were actually relieved by Third uh, Army. That's Cre right. Creighton Abrams drove the first tank in. That's right. And, and we were happy to, we were happy to hear. In combat, you get your, your uh, ears begin to tell your brain many, many things. You can tell by the sound of the shells. You can tell by the sound of so many different things that go on. And when we heard, we could tell the difference of the sound of the German Tiger tanks on the tracks as against the American tanks. Sherman's, right. And we could tell the difference of the sound because we saw it in Normandy. We saw it in Holland. And so we, right away, when we heard that we heard our own tanks come in, we were so happy that the... Uh, <coughs> that uh, Patton could come in and help us uh, in a dire circumstance that we were in in Normandy. It best don't. Right, and that's where you, you earned the Bronze Star. I mean, that's right, yes. and that's why I'm called, our unit's called the Battered Bastards of Bastogne. Right. And uh, you have to remember that uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the, about the eagle. eagle right, eagle. screaming eagles. 
I have to tell you a little story about this. I would love it. We were getting more money because we were paratroopers. And we got into trouble. <laughs> Alcohol. Okay. Your hazardous duty pay, yeah. right? That's right. We had a riot in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1943, the 4th of July. <laughs> a couple of bartenders walked into a bar and they demanded immediate service and the bartender said, wait a minute, I'm waiting on a couple of Hawaiian soldiers here. Well, they wouldn't have any part of that. So as a result, there was a riot. Wow. There were 70 men in the jail on Sunday morning. Colonel Johnson, called Jumpy Johnson, he had over 100 jumps. He was a full char, chicken, he was a full colonel. He got the regiment together, and our mascot was a bald eagle. He had him in a cage. He put a black flag over the cage, because the eagle was in mourning. We had 70 men, <laughs> 70 men in, in jail. jail. <laughs> in jail. He, he was about to be made a, a brigadier general. Uh-oh. Oh. Mrs. Roosevelt, Eleanor Roosevelt, got on the radio. She said that the paratroopers were the most uncouth group the Army has. Uh-oh. That went right up to Washington. He didn't get his promotion right away. But isn't it ironic? Her husband, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, gave us the presidential unit citation. We got it twice. The wow. first unit in the military to ever get it twice. Right. Wow. First unit in the Army. Incredible. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Because I, I think that the, uh, the carrier enterprise actually got that, to... They, they did. Right. Ab absolutely right about that. You've got a pretty good knowledge of the military. <laughs> he <laughs> has a, a very good knowledge of the military. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Joe, you, you are 95 years old. Is that correct? I am 95 years old. Wow. Are you the oldest uh, World War II veteran of the 101st Airborne? I do not know that. Uh, I belong to an organization called The Greatest Generation. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a foundation and an right. organization. Uh, it is, uh, the CEO is a man called Tim Davis. He lives in Denver, Colorado. Wow. And he takes, I went back in 14. I met President Obama. Wow. They took 28 of us back to Normandy at uh, Omaha Beach, Cova Semur. They picked four, four out of the 28. The reason they picked me, because I can get in my uniform. Yeah. I, got, <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I got to speak to President Obama. He's a tall man, got a good sense of humor. He has to have a nice job he's got. And uh, we had a good conversation. And there was 50,000 people there that day from 23 nations wow. to celebrate in 2014. 2015, I went back again to Normandy. When you, yeah. no, go ahead, finish your story. Well, I'm wondering, when you go back, do you feel, do you feel the emotions? Do you feel the magnitude of the day? Or, or are you separated from it now? What, what, what is your feeling like? Yes, you do. And I'll tell you why that you have the connection. The people of Europe, particularly France, Holland, Austria, right. all those places where we were able to defeat the Nazis, they have a lot of respect for us for what we did so many years ago. And uh, we stayed with French families when we were there in 14. Uh, they, uh, we stayed in their homes. They live in Chateau. And they took us every day down to Carentan, which is our connection point. We had a bus that took us all around the cemeteries and the, the memorials. Wow. I speak to school children over there as I speak to school children in San Diego. Uh, every chance I'm invited to go, I speak to the young people. And they're very receptive. They want to know a little bit more about the history of World War II. Right. Joe, did you, what was your highest rank? Did you... Uh I'm a private first class. So all the way through. All the way through. And they say, well, that's not a very high rank. You're right, it isn't. But I was getting... Three paid grades higher, because I was a paratrooper, I was in combat, I was a radio man. I was the 300 radio operator for the 81 mortar platoon. Fantastic. 
fantastic. And they did, and the 101st Airborne didn't give out promotions. Like no, they did not. Like You're other right. units. We right. were we were what they were called. Point we I were under the old Horse Cavalry T.O. Right. Table of Organization. Right. Exactly. Every 18th man was rated. Well, I didn't care because I was getting three pay grades higher, <laughs> and I didn't have to babysit anybody. And I was the radio operator for the mortar platoon, so I was happy with my rate. But we had a we had an interview last year. We went to uh, Beverly Hills. You oh. heard of Beverly Hills? I've, I've Stayed at the Beverly Hotel Hills. Hilton there. Oh, All right. fancy. They took us out to the, the airport of Van Nuys. We invited a man to come and talk to us. The man's name was Larry King. Oh. Is that right? It turned out to be disastrous. Oh. <laughs> 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 All righty. So we need to we need to go to break, yeah. but uh, I I know Bill and I could sit here talking to you for hours. Sure, thank you. And we hope to in a little bit. Um, but we just thank you so much. I know right. Bill does too for thank being here. Oh yeah, it's incredible. It really is. Thank you. And and thank we'll talk much. to you more in the break. All right, I want to remind everyone to be at Petco Park on Friday, July 29th for Party in the Park, presented by Southwest Airlines for your chance to win a trip for two to Las Vegas with airfare from Southwest and amenities provided by Las Vegas. It's a Vegas-themed happy hour before the Padres take on the Reds at 740. Get tickets at padres.com slash party. You ever been to Vegas, Joe? All right. <laughs> we'll be back with more Padres Social Hour. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. <laughs> 